Do we have to do this clap thing again, or do you think we're in sync today? Uh, let's do the clap thing just for a laugh. If it's the last time, it could be the last time we do it if we go to Zoom. That is the, okay. All right. Okay then. Remember, remember, it's not on three. It's on four. It's. On four. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to four for you to do one five. <laughs> okay. Then. It's 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 okay. it's like it's one after the last one. Griff, my nine-year-old knows how to do this. <laughs> Are we ready? I'm ready. Well, hang on, but you're on Ethernet as well, so that should be less lag. Yes. Okay. Okay, one, two, three. Ah! You, you banged the microphone. You... I did it right. <laughs> That'll do. Welcome to episode episode four, isn't it, of Bud and Griff's Gaming Creep Show, where we talk about well weird stuff and we try and tie it to being horror stuff. So occasionally, <laughs> so ho- hopefully by the next podcast we'll we'll have Zoom, which means we won't have to do the stupid clap and thing every time because Gr- Griff's got a <laughs> delay between his hands and his brain. <laughs> I'm going to miss it. I'm going to miss doing that. That's the that's the <laughs> highlight of my week. You know, that's as good as it gets. <laughs> I don't believe you. <laughs> That's it. So it's down. It's it's downhill now. Till next time. <laughs> With a bit of luck, the next time we're on, we will have Seth Skorkowski joining us for a chat. You might have heard him. He's this like small time YouTuber. He does. He he, he writes. He writes uh, like penny novels kind of thing. You know, bang average. Um, <laughs> we might have Seth on, but I don't know when Chaosium Con is. But I'll I'll, I'll message him after this and I'll find out. So hopefully we we'll, we'll we'll speak to Seth next week. So this week we're going to talk about a few things. We've got some gaming news we'd like to talk about. Before we start, I've, yeah, I've got a quiz. Spe- okay, I've, I've spent hours writing this. So as you you've got, <laughs> I have literally hours. <laughs> Press X for doubt. <laughs> <laughs> so. Remember, no thinking, and I'm going to get... I won't have a problem with that. Okay, then. Starting now. Eggs or bacon? Bacon. Long campaign or lots of one-shots? Long campaign. Shot by a dog or stabbed by a cat? (laughs) Come on, quick. (laughs) Stabbed by a cat, (laughs) because... Okay, we can pause. Time out. (laughs) Can, Can I have a bit of an explanation on that? Because you've got more chance of, being, of surviving being stabbed than shot. 
<laughs> the animal doesn't make any difference. <laughs> it does. Dogs are vicious. Yeah, but it's shooting me. <laughs> It could, if it's shooting me, it's not mauling me, is it? What happens if it was your your friendly dog, though? That would be like a like a betrayal. Uh, that, that would be a betrayal, yeah. I'd be like, et, et to Mabel. <laughs> okay, then. Ready? Call of Cthulhu or RuneQuest? Oh, God. Um, RuneQuest. Cut the red wire or cut the blue wire? Cut the red wire. Oh, that, ooh, I wouldn't do that. I'm an Everton fan. I couldn't. I couldn't cut the blue wire. Uh, see, I've got. I've got a PhD in electronics, and we were always taught in a bomb cut the blue wire. They actually taught you this. They did. They said it's always the blue. Well, I haven't got a PhD, so I'd be dead. Oh, shame. <laughs> and traveller or toon? Oh, you Ted, um, traveller. Okay. Because hmm. at least that a traveller is like a boring cousin rather than an annoying cousin. Toon's not annoying. I'll con- everything. I'll convert. Everything about that is is annoying. Do you, you know if we do everything about tune, everything about it is annoying. I'm not going to even would be swayed. Everything about tune is annoying. If we do get to say fifty, because that's a nice number, could could we have a tune special? I mean, my head says my head says yes, but my heart says no. How about if I get a really special guest on for a tune special? Well, you better tell me who the guest is. It's secret. But <laughs> you haven't got one, have you? <laughs> I could get one. I could get somebody really cool. I could get somebody really cool. Famous and cool to do it. Hugh doesn't count. No. I know he's won a BAFTA, but he doesn't count. I've won a BAFTA as well. Have you got one on your mantelpiece? Uh, no, they don't let me they didn't let me keep it. So you posed with a BAFTA for a bit, did you then? Yeah. <laughs> but okay, but I'll I'll get a special guest. I'll get a special guest. All right, if we get to 50, we'll talk about Toon, and I will sit there stubborn. Yes, with our special guest. I'll make you cry in front of somebody really cool. Wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk a bit about some gaming news. Uh, there's been two interesting things. I mean, we talked about Lustria the other week, but there's been two interesting things. Well, one, one's been released and one's coming up. The first one is um, the Maledictum book. Yes by Cubicle 7. Now, is it is it entirely compatible with um, with the old Fantasy Flight I reckon, 40k? I reckon so. It's it's essentially, it's a reskin of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay 4th Edition with some of the niggles ironed out a little bit. So a lot of the advantage stuff that you get in WFRPE, Wolfram, uh, to stop it being swingy is replaced with a, like a bit of a tactical layer where you're trying to maintain right. superiority in the fight. But I reckon 90% of the black industry stuff would be compatible. Oh, that's interesting. And it's absolutely banging. It really is. It's, I mean, that's Lustria and Maledictum within a week of each other. And I think Maledictum's, I, I love Lustria. It's, it's a phenomenal product, but Maledictum, that is, it's even more special. Mm. See, see, I used to have all the Black Industries books mm. when they were out. I had the full set, mm. and then and then we never played it, so we just sold them all. Because you know, I'm very much like that. I curate my collection quite a lot. Mm. It's not like having PDFs. I mean, PDFs don't take up space, do they? When mm. when you've got a limited shelf space, those those um those hardback Warhammer 40k books took up a lot of room. Mm. 
Um, we played Death Watch. Uh, you know the uh, the one where you play the Death Watch. Yes. Where you like the, you're all all Space Marine brothers from different chapters all together, and we were ludicrously powerful. Yeah. And we were low level really. Uh, we had an ultramarine, and we we got to the end of the first adventure, and there was some like big bad tyrannid kind of thing, and we hosed it in two rounds. Oh dear. Yeah. It- well, when you give an ultramarine a a big heavy machine gun, each mm. it was like he just like it was like a um, like a Gatling gun. Mm. It was essentially walking around with. We just hosed it, and it was it was. I mean, we had a librarian as well, a Blood Angels library, no Dark Angels librarian. And he would, he would just bonkers, he would bonkers. Mm. We were all first found in, you know, from the first 12 chapters. Yes. We had like, we had a space wolf, we had an ultramarine, we had two dark angels. And I think I was a, I was an iron hand, you know, the ones that are like tech marine kind of things. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we were so powerful. Uh, well, maledictum isn't like that. Maledictum, you are walking bags of blood, very, very fragile bags of blood. The set the the setup for Maledictum is if you imagine Dark Heresy where you played sort of the Inquisitors helpers, mm-hmm. it's pretty much that. Except they open up the kind of patrons you have, so it's not just the Inquisition. You could be working for the Administratum, sort of. You could be like a paper, a paper jockey. Um, you could be working for the tech priests. You could be working for the um, ministerium. You could be moving psychers to be have their brains sucked up by the emperor. You pluck from obscurity, and pretty much in the game, you don't get much more powerful than the starting characters you used to get. Really? Yeah, it's really good. But it's really good. Combat is more lethal than RuneQuest. You don't. The, the, there isn't really combat in the game. You're encouraged to ambush and murder people without them seeing you. It's that sort of. Well, that's thing. the best. That's the best kind of combat, isn't it? It's the only way I operate in real life. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so so you got all it's it and it's absolutely beautiful. It's everyday life in the Imperium. You have a patron that you design together, so you sort of decide what sort of factions you want to be interacting with or have in your favour, and you go off and do stuff. And it's just amazing. It's everything I've wanted in a 40k game ever. Wow, that's that, that's that's a big claim. It is. I, I tell you what, though, that, that Collector's Edition is one beautiful book. Yes, but it's one expensive book at the same time. Mm. I mean, it's what, £99 for, or £90 for a book? Worth it. Worth it. Sell a child. <laughs> I've got two. I always have a spare. But I mean, like, those, um, the Warhammer uh, fancy roleplay collector's editions were expensive, but they're going for stupid prices now on eBay. Mm. There was one sold recently on eBay at the time of us doing this, I think it was 350 quid. Wow. I paid seventy for mine at the um, at the expo last year. Wow. wow! And I got a signed by Ralph Horsley and uh, Dominic McDowell. Nice, because Ralph Horsley did the art in it. Three hundred and fifty quid for a role playing book. That that's I mean when you think about stuff like Up the Garden Path, you know the the we had Up the Garden Path. No, it was a an AD and D scenario that was done for a garden festival. Oh yeah. I think I've seen it on Twitter. Um, Pookie has a copy because he was at the convention 
that it was that was meant to be. I went up and said, "Can I have a copy?" And he said, "Yeah." And I stayed in Pookie's house over um at the expo, and he said to me, "It's under the bed somewhere where you're sleeping." And I've said the time, I felt like smog <laughs> <laughs> sleeping sleeping on this hoard of a. Uh, of, of, of expensive stuff, but that's about. I think the Noble Knights had a copy for seven thousand dollars. I just felt like Bilbo Baggins and thought, I'll have that. <laughs> I, just have that. <laughs> I would say you might notice, but I don't think he would have. <laughs> have you seen Doc Cowie's collection of books? It's impressive, it, but it's very impressive. Pookie's is like it's like nothing I've ever seen, you know, and in the best kind of way because I you could dig through there and be finding new stuff, it was unbelievable. I might actually cut this bit out if it's a bit like it's talking about people. It's talking about people's houses. <laughs> I tell you else. I tell you else. I'd like to rob off Twitter. <laughs> Who? Everybody that puts up. Look at my shelves. I love a bit of that. <laughs> Selfies. Yeah, I, I think of them. You, you know, like I could be like Raffles, the gentleman thief, <laughs> but with role playing games. I leave a little calling card. <laughs> Uh, just sneak in there with, with with your monocle on. Yeah, <laughs> I'll top that. But if yes, but but maledictum, just absolutely stunning product. The only warning I would give to prospective buyers and people really ought to think about purchasing it. Players are given a lot of freedom about the kind of characters they want to be, the kind of patron they're working for. Which means that I'm going to be very interested to see how Cubicle 7 writes scenarios and campaigns. Because it's going to be very hard mm. to shoe in, say, a group that are working for the Sisters of Battle, escorting psychers to the Golden Throne, and mm-hmm. a, a, a bunch of people working for a hive crime lord. You, you know, scenarios, I think, official scenarios yeah, yeah. are going to be hard to come by. So I think the GM is going to have to write for the players. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of heavy lifting there, isn't there? Yeah, worth it. W- there's been really there's been it. stuff happening in 40k recently, hasn't there? Yeah. In the law, Lionel Lionel Johnson is Messi. Uh, Messi. Not that one. Um, the the Primarch of the the Dark Angels has returned. Yes. And the model looks I mean, fantastic. In in the law, he'd sort of just vanished, hadn't he? He'd gone off on one. No, no, that was that was Lehman Russ. Oh, Lehman Russ. Yeah, he was the space wolf. Uh, lion, the lion, as he's known, was um, brutally wounded in the battle and was in stasis. Oh, in the in, in 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 the uh, in the kind of the crypt of the uh, of the Dark Angels, and he recently worked out a way of healing him, and he's come back, and that means two of the Primarchs have returned because the Ultramarines Primarchs come back as well. He has. Yeah. You know, you know what? You know what? I must admit, if there's one thing I don't like about the 40k universe. I don't think they spent a lot of t- time naming the Primarchs. <laughs> yeah, they are a bit Lion- like uh, Sanguinius and all. Well, yeah, he's meant to be named after an author, though, isn't he? he wrote a poem called Something the Dark Angel. Yeah. When I used to when I used to read 40k law, every time I saw Lionel, I just thought of Lionel Blair. Everyone thinks of Lionel Blair when they think of that, don't they? It's like uh, with, with big muscles, like big buff Lionel. Lionel Blair. Well, the model looks like um, what's the name out of Game of Thrones? Um, Tyrion Lannister, not Tyrion. Sorry, uh, you know his dad. Um, who played him? Charles Dance. Yeah, it, the, the model, the face looks like Charles Dance. All oh, right, it's quite cool. Um, so the other thing, the other upcoming thing now is the uh, the Sons of the Singularities new Kickstarter. It's called the Blessed and the Blasphemous. 
And it's a, a license, it's an officially licensed campaign set in North Africa uh, before the breakout of World War Two. And it draws upon uh, this is from their official stuff they sent me. The rich Moroccan, Imzagan and Carthaginian cultures and history. And it's Casablanca meets Cthulhu. And I don't think they're talking about Casablanca the movie here. Oh. I think they're talking about Casablanca in Morocco. Yes. But Casablanca the Casablanca the movie's cool. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with the movie, but I don't think it's... I think they, I know what they mean, because Casablanca is North Africa, isn't it? And yeah. that Kickstarter launches on the 8th, so uh, probably just after we uh, uh, edit this and get it out. Um, one thing I will say about um, about Songs of Singularity is they run a hell of a Kickstarter. Mm. The first one that they ran was the Sassoon Files, and I backed it. I always try and back Cthulhu Kickstarters with one notable exception. Um because the, the, the notable exception produces junk, and I, I refuse to buy it. But Sons of the Singularity, I think the guy who runs him is like a project manager. And all the way through it, he would send us a spreadsheet of where each bit was up to. Oh, that's good. And that's really nice when you're waiting on things. And then, because it, it was printed in China, and the Chinese government got involved and pulped the entire print run. Oh, my God. Yeah. But, because, it, because it was blasphemous. Well, I'm not sure blasphemous. I, I think it was. It was. Uh, it. They felt it was too political. Oh. Which you know, as we know in China, that can lead to bad things. And the whole print run got pulped. Mm. And um, so they got it printed in America, I believe, and they still got it out before the deadline. That's amazing. Yeah, and it was That's an offset like, print as well. That's not like a normal project manager. No, <laughs> they're, not, not, they're normally they're normally not that well organised. No, but th- this was a this was out of all the Kickstarters that have that have, have taken part in, this was by far the best run. Mm. So that 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 last one, the Indochine one, from what I saw of it, because I didn't back it, I, I was mm. I want I wanted to, but I was getting divorced again, um, <laughs> again, so, uh, again. <laughs> so, uh, but it looked. Like you got a a great big wad of information. You know, it looked like it was in depth. It wasn't just a cheap tie-in. You know, it wasn't just oh, we'll pluck a set in, Wikipedia it. It was it was a nice pack. You got you got two books. You got a GM screen and a poster. Mm. But one of the things that they they included in it was was the Call of Cthulhu Guide of the French Foreign Legion. Oh, nice! Which is a really good addition because you can play. I think you can play French Foreign Legionnaires, which, as you know, are, are badasses. Unless they're Laurel and Hardy. <laughs> if you put Laurel and Hardy in anything, they're the exceptions yeah. to the rule, aren't they? I, I saw I saw a documentary on the French Foreign Legion recently. It was actually really interesting. Because people will literally come from all over the world, and they when they when they get accepted to join, they give you a new name and passport, a French passport, oh, and it's the whole point is you leave your old your old life behind. But it's not all people running away from things. You've got to prove you're good enough. Yes, and uh, there's people who go to like um, like kind of army college and learn you know, various things about battle tactics, and they will then go and try and join the foreign legion because they think it's a good starter for them. But I think I think when you sign up, you sign up for five years. Hmm. I reckon they'd have me. I reckon I'd get in. Why? Why do you think that? Because I'm a tactical genius. Well, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> the kids have never beaten me at, at, at a board game, at, at 
Scrabble, Monopoly. You know, I'm, I, I am a tactical genius. I'll take your word. <laughs> I'll take your word for that. I, I bought um, you know, remember the game Downfall years ago, where you had like it had like four dials, mm. and it would grab pieces, and you had to get them to the bottom. Mm. I picked one of them up in a car boot sale, and I said to my daughter Evie, um, "I got I was taught how to play." And I said to my wife Claire, "I'm not going to let her win. Every time I'm going to I beat, I go to play, and I'm going to try and beat her." And so, so she never got it the easy way. And about two years ago, um, she beat me. All right. Yeah. So I just grounded her. <laughs> <laughs> okay then, bud. So we we we've talked about the Cthulhu mythos a few times. It's mythos. It's not mythos. You don't say mythology, do you? I did in all level Greek. <laughs> okay. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> okay then. But we talk about mythos, and we're both very famous authors of mythos products. You with Viral, me with Thulu, the best well, tune-based Cthulhu game. Available on Itch.io and all great retailers. I've, I've, I've had seven pity sales. Have you? Seven. That's like 14 <laughs> quid. What? <laughs> 14 quid. So I'm retiring next month so but we, we do talk about it a lot but i'm conscious of the fact that might not everybody might know about the cthulhu mythos so it's mythos okay not everybody knows about the cthulhu mythos cthulhu oh, mythos so i'm gonna ask you a few questions if that's okay and we'll have yeah. a little bit of a chat about it okay go ahead Okay then. What do you understand as the core elements of cosmic horror? An uncaring universe and entities within that universe that don't care either, that have their own un- unimaginably unfathomable agendas. Or even some that are just mindless things that exist for some reason, like Azathoth. Yes. You know, you know about the schemes of the, of like Nihilathotep. And so someone someone commented on recently on one of my I did you know with the guide to running I did I did the big breakdown of Mass Analathotep seventh edition and someone commented why didn't Analathotep just kill the investigators That's a good question has to be said It is a good question However the the whole point of it is the crawling chaos chance and unpredictability is what the the crawling chaos is all about mm. So you get the things like that, but then you get things like like Shubnagrath, which is like essentially a fertility goddess. She's the big goat with the big legs and the, the goat of a thousand young, yeah. Mm. And then you get stuff like um, Yog Sothoth, the gatekeeper, yes, uh, the key in the way, as you know, who again is another kind of. I mean, what's the purpose of it? It. it I mean, for me, the mythos is about about uncaring indifference and things that have a purpose beyond. The ability of humans to understand. Yeah, I mean that's that. I think that's important. I think one of the cool things about cosmic horror and that I like about it is you can't equip yourself with the knowledge to navigate it because yeah. by become be, by, by becoming conscious of it, it affects your sanity or the way you think. Yeah, so more knowledge drives you mad. More knowledge drives you mad. So you operate in pretty much in total. If you be sensible, in total blindness. I mean, ignorance is essentially bliss, isn't it? With it with, is. with the the cosmic horror, is it better to stay ignorant of all these things? I mean, what if you were to suddenly find out that there was some great monstrous intelligence at the centre of the universe? Really, would you sleep okay at night? Uh, I don't think so. I, I yeah, 
that that would be quite worrying. I mean, what if they said it would be three billion years before it got to us, though? I don't know, because I sometimes think about that. I sometimes lie awake at night thinking the universe is going to end eventually. Like, you know, some great big... Because the universe is expanding and space itself is expanding and eventually all the stars will die and protons will decay into neutrons and it'll be a big empty space. But then is, doesn't the model of physics suggest that it'll then collapse upon itself and create a second Big Bang and everything could be recreated? Well, everybody argues because physicists, they, 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 they like to propose things and test yeah. things. And I don't trust physicists because, you know, 30 years ago, they didn't realise that 96% of the universe was missing. You know, dark energy and dark matter. Yeah. But I think, I think current, the current model is that it's like a big rip that dark energy will f- not only expand the universe, it'll expand the universe at faster and faster rates, and eventually it'll be a big stretched out nothingness, and everything. Oh, the last remaining things will be black holes, and eventually the black holes will evaporate and die, and it'll just be a big, cold, horrible universe. It'll be like living in Wolverhampton eventually. <laughs> Bleak. Wolverhampton, not just Wolverhampton, it'll be, it'll be like... Living in Wolverhampton, Sunday, rainy Sunday, Christmas Day, all the shops are shut. That's the that's the end of the universe. Hellscape. Hellscape. So but, you mentioned, uh, but I mean, sorry. we 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 think we think that, but that might not be what's true. We don't understand things that we don't understand the bottom of the sea. How can we possibly think we understand what's going to happen in three billion years time? Just because you observe one thing doing one thing doesn't mean all things are going to do that one thing. Yeah, possible. But this is what Brian Cox says, and I trust Brian Cox. I thought you said you didn't trust physicists. I'm talking about Brian Cox, the Scottish actor. (laughs) (laughs) From Succession. (laughs) Not not the Brian Cox from that band. Don't trust a keyboard player in a band. (laughs) He's from Manchester as well. I mean, that's doubly bad. Brian Cox, the actor. (laughs) Yeah, I've, I've read you all trust of his words. Yeah, I've read all of his physics books. They're very good. <laughs> They're very good. Oh, I feel, I, <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Oh, so, so we we we've already named we've already named a few a few of the Cthulhu mythos mythos we've already mentioned a few of the cthulhu mythos some of the big guns so uh let, let who were the cool ones who who would you say you would invite around for dinner you know like that game where you have celebrities around which cthulhu mythos entities would you invite and why are they cool and scary bast bast yeah so that that's the that's the cat goddess Egyptian. yes Cat goddess. And I'm not I'm not a fairy, let's point this out. But she's the most one of the most amenable to humans. Mm. Nodens is a bit uncaring. He's the bloke. He's basically Gandalf, isn't he? Yeah, he's like Zeus meets he's he's weird. I don't even understand really what he's about. He's he's one of the ones you don't lose sand for seeing. Oh. Yeah, he's I think he's the I think he's the only one. That yeah. when he when he appears in his normal form, you don't lose sand because he's just like he's like Zeus. Yeah, but it's like he's got like a shell chariot, hasn't he? I always imagined him. Yeah, shell shell chariot, Billy Connolly. That's who I imagined. <laughs> <that is. laughs> 
you know, Dodes appears. You know, that Nihilata tip. <laughs> That's it. Okay, so you, so you, you've got. Okay, so you got Bast and you've got Nolgens. So you got, you got this idea of good, or at least understandable. Not gonna send you crazy gods. More relatable, I think. Relatable, um, but. But Bast imagine, understands that cats are part of humanity, I think, as well. Yes. But how about how about you've got to have some monstrosities there? I, imagine you've invited, as well as the Cthulhu mythos gods, you've invited somebody you don't like and you want to put the willy up them. You know, think of somebody uh, in uh, your head. Can you rephrase that slightly? Because I, I was going to mention <laughs> Shiv the Garath, but, put, but that could mean an entirely different thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so 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 you, so so you got somebody you've invited round off Twitter that you don't like. So imagine that person in your head. Yeah, and and you've invited the monstrosities to scramble their minds. Which monstrosities would you invite? Uh, to only affect them with madness. Well, just just to go. Can you scare him? Could you could you put the frighteners on him? I don't like him. Or um. See, see, I'm thinking, you know, plausibility here because at least with Bast you could have like a, t- a table and you know chairs. Nodens is a bit big. Hang on, Bast, Bast, you just put a saucer in the corner. <laughs> Tell us to get down from the table. <laughs> yeah, get off. The t- yeah. yeah. Um, the the most relatable. Yeah, I think I think who would invite would be Niall Athertep. Hang on. So so Niall Athertep. Yeah. That that that's a mouthful, isn't it? He, it is. He, he didn't give them easy names, did he? So he no. is the crawling chaos. So yeah. he's, he's he appears in many different forms. I, that's exactly the point because he can appear as the black man. Mm. Yeah. So you'd invite the black man who would sit there being civilized, and then you'd, when you say like the person he didn't like, so pasta sugar, he could turn into the bloody tongue aspect while he handed them, and it would just and they wouldn't come round again. No, that's it. That's a good one. And he could look like anybody. Exactly, yeah. So he could be Eddie Izzard. So, yeah, Eddie Izzard. Eddie Izzard could... Because he's Eddie Izzard could be Neil Athertep. It's Niall Niall Athertep. Niall Athertep. There's a... I can't even say pronunciation. How ironic is that? (laughs) There's a pronunciation guide in in the first three editions, and it phonetically tells you how to say Niall Athertep. I can't read the. You know when they, you know when they write out, this is how you say something, and they do it phonetically. Yeah. They for, they forget people from the black country, and we look at it and go, "Yeah, we wouldn't say." It. So we see it. We see it. Would you say like Niall Athertip? Yeah, yeah, Niall Athertip. Because people say Niall Athotep. Niall Athotep is probably what I would closer to how I would say. Yeah. Because the important part of it is Hotep, isn't it? Hotep, yeah. Because he has so lots of links with ancient Egypt. Ancient, like the pharaoh. Mm-hmm. Okay, then. So we've got, we got, we got Neolathotep. Yeah. In the edition, we do a speak and spell and get computers to say it for us. <laughs> <laughs> so you got, okay, you got Niali, you got Bast, you got Billy Connolly. <laughs> would you invite Cthulhu and who is he? Uh, no, because he would smell a fish and he's too big. And and you lose D hundred sand for seeing him, which is always a yes. bummer. So he, for people who don't know, Cthulhu is asleep. He is in he lives, in really a lives there. He sleeps at the bottom, dreaming. I wonder what does he dream of? 
I don't know. His dreams infiltrate human minds, don't they? Particularly poets, artists. Artists and that, yeah. Who paint what they see. Yeah. Have you read um, an interesting kind of aside here? Have you read uh, The Labyrinth, the Dalton Green book? Uh, No. There's a group in it called the Dream Syndicate. Oh, yeah. Uh, What what the book The Labyrinth does, it gives you four potential allies and four potential enemies. Hmm. And it explains how they can be allies, what can hap- what will happen if Delta Green infiltrate them, but also how they're connected to the others. And one of the potential allies is a group called the Dream Syndicate. Mm. And it involves um, a girl from, from Kentucky, I think it is, somewhere in America, called Power. And she started mm. having dreams of, remember they, they planed the MH370, MH370 Philippine crash? which vanished yeah she keeps on having dreams of that crashing Hmm. and her dreams are fragmented and it lands somewhere in the you know in the ocean and the view the dream is from multiple viewpoints one is the oxygen masks falling down yes and then the next one is 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 in the ocean looking up at the plane coming down Hmm. and then the other one is in the in the ocean with people screaming and being pulled under and then another fragment of the dream she gets is um, she's at the bottom of the sea and there's ruby red columns and oh. big cavernous big cavernous um, buildings. Oh, Cthulhu's house. Mm-hmm. And she hears a word, but she can't remember it when she wakes up. And the whole point is, with the dream syndicate is, one of the one of the, the it's so well written. It, it, John Scott Tyne wrote it, so you know it's yeah. going to be good. And one of the things about the Dream Syndicate is how to use them. Is one of them might have a dream about a, a, a mission that the agents are currently on. Well, that's good. Yeah. So then, if the agents then, or, or one of the agents is a dreamer, and then if they search, they come upon this forum called the Dream Syndicate, where all these people explain these dreams that they're sharing. Mm. See, this is why I think Cthulhu is a, just a little bit of the Cthulhu mythos, especially because, you know, it's not just H.P. Lovecraft. There's, there's other big names, mm. you know, August Derleth, Ambrose Bierce, Block, you know, people wrote to it. But Ram- Ramsey th- Campbell invented Dialoth. Yes. Thousands of, thousands of people have added to the Cthulhu mythos. Mm. But the one thing that I find really scary and frightening about Cthulhu is you don't even have to go investigating him or, or knocking about his underwater palace to encounter him. All you've got to do is go to sleep and have a dream. And, yeah. and, that, and that's the end of you, you know. There's only sl- one yeah. way that's going. Your sanity slowly erodes. Well, that's the point that makes with the Dream Syndicate is that through this years of dreaming, power, sanity is starting to be, kind of be shaved away. Mm. But um, the whole point of the Dream Syndicate, she starts at this forum where other people have the dreams and they log like a database of the dreams. And more often than not, people come in and they'll be like, it's clearly nothing to do with what we do. But there's mm. like there's like five scenarios and it's the idea that Time is not linear because you dream about the past as well and yes. the future and the present. And it's saying so potentially they think people in medieval England could have dreams about the, the MH370 plane crash and not understand the hell, what the hell they're seeing. Oh, yeah, like real dreams. You know, we, we, yeah. 
Well, you just don't, that that's very clever. That's good. Mm. Um, so the but the idea being that is, is a dreamer is just a mind that can somehow receive these kind of echoes through reality. Mm. But in 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 Delta Green, they've come together online as a non-funded potential ally of Delta Green called the Dream Syndicate. But there's a twist in it because one of the guys in the Dream Syndicate who's who's a um, one of the moderators is a fake oh. and he's a hacker and a social engineer and basically he's hacked the database and made up dreams to get in the good graces of power because he's in love with her oh that's good and he, he's the kind of guy who swats people you know that kind of thing so that's the kind of spanner in the works with the whole dream syndicate how because power for the large, large part of the involvement of delta green is unaware of it because he's hacked her email, he's hacked all of her communications, he just deletes stuff. So if the agent's trying to get in touch with her, he just deletes it. Or, or, or hangs up a phone because her phone's been hacked by him and things like that. The only way they can truly find out what's going on is if the agent meet her. Yes. And then she'll be like, I didn't know any of this. You know, and, but it's the idea, because the, the, the dreamers in Delta Green, they're not even sure how or why it happens. And they've tried things like uh, ayahuasca, and LSD to try and enhance it, but they've had no real good results. It just seems to be random people mm. that have these dreams. But as you say, you can't turn them off. Can't turn them off, doesn't it? Well, I can because I'm an insomniac. So Cthulhu you just don't get... dream. I just don't dream. <laughs> Cthulhu ain't getting to me. It's how no, I keep every, myself. Safe. Everything else in your house will get to you before that happens. <laughs> okay. Okay. So then. who would so... you have? At, who would you have at your tea party? Me. So oh, let's I, limit it. Limit it to three. Yeah. Yeah. I'd I'd have Azathoth. Would that be party over instantly? Wouldn't it? Well, you could ask him to tone it down a little bit. But <laughs> Azathoth, just uh, tone it down a bit, mate. <laughs> so yeah, you're, def- I'd, you're I'd devouring have, I'd, reality. <laughs> well, the thing the thing is with uh, with Azathoth, he's like a source of energy as well, blinding cosmic energy, and. Uh, our electricity and gas bills are all quite expensive at the moment. Even so you in <laughs> so, you, so you wouldn't need you wouldn't need to have the heating on. Well, yeah, because you'd be dead. You'd be like a bubbling mass on the floor. And to be honest, even as a thought's blind in energy, we'd only knock the prices down by like a ten of a month. Yes. <laughs> so I'd I'd have as a thought. I'd yeah. I'd invite a little group of Meagle. I, I think the Meagle, who are little fungus insects from Pluto mm-hmm. that, that, that have got like weird mining operations in weird places and do weird things like cut people's brains out and put them in jars and yeah. transport their, just their brain across the universe. I'd have a few of them around. What, as like waiters? Uh, yeah. More, more brains, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I just think not, but this is for our imaginary person that we're wanting to put the spooks up. I yeah. think I think the Mego are a brilliant villain because they're almost understandable. You know, little little people with wings and stuff, sort of insectoid, sort of mushroom, but at the same time, you can't get your head around what their actual plans and motives are. I like I like the Mego. Yeah. So I'd go Azathoth, Migo, and you've already mentioned her, Shub Nigrath, who, who I think is just a brilliant 
villain because she's about fecundity. She's about, she deals with a lot of stuff that in real life you would associate positive things about creating young life growth. Yeah. She's like the, she's the dark aspect of that. So I like, I like her as a villain because she's quite easy to use in locations that the players can actually get to. Yeah, there's something foresty and a bit um bit wicker man about her, I think. And I, I like a little bit of folk horror. Yeah, I do as well. Because I don't like people who live in the countryside. So, <laughs> so, so, so it gives me a chance to uh, berate people who don't live in towns and go, yeah, don't trust anybody that don't live on concrete. But these people chase cheese down hills and Morris dance. <laughs> See, che- I reckon that could quite easily... Be a cult ritual. Shubnigareth. Hiding in ro- plain sight kind of thing. Yeah, the rolling of the cheese. Well, it's, it is fermented milk. It's fermented milk. Yeah. Goat's milk. Yeah. And she got... So I it's like, all there. Like- Wake up, sheeple! <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah. And and Shubnigareth would be... Uh, she'd be uh, good to, to have around, yeah, because she... She she could uh, be responsible for bringing the fruit and veg. You have to explain, <laughs> to explain that. But she's all about she's all about bountiful life, and 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 have you seen the price of potatoes in Tesco's at the moment? Yeah, everything I'd, is expensive. Uh, so I'd I'd be prepared to have some of her blackened, <laughs> corrupt potatoes. You know, I'm spending money on PDFs. <laughs> You know what would happen if you had Shipman Goreth around your house? Three years later, you'd be getting a divorce from <laughs> <laughs> This is true. It is true. Um, is- yeah, um, Shipman Goreth's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I've often thought this, that that if the xenomorphs from Alien... Mm had the intelligence and mindfulness to worship a kind of goddess, it would be something like that. Yes. So those brood or hive mothers, whatever they are, the yeah. big aliens, yeah. the, the the ones that Sigourney Weaver has a bit of a boxing match with. Yeah. To me, that's the sort of feel of Shub Nigrath. Yeah. The idea that, I mean, they birth from other creatures and... Um, you know, and there's the, the 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 birth's weird, isn't it? Because because the aliens don't get pregnant, she hatches eggs, which then produce a creature which gets other creatures pregnant. Yes. Which is terrifying, really, isn't it? It is. Because that was one of the big points about about alien, wasn't it? The fact that it it's it, it essentially has the idea that a face worker can get a male pregnant. Yes. I didn't know that. Yeah. I, 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 it's too scary for me, Alien. See, that it's the endless arguments, Alien or Aliens, isn't it? Mm. And I've given up on that argument now by saying they're two different types of movie. It's wrong to compare them. One is an action movie. One is a horror movie. They're not yes. the same thing. So, so it's an, it's, it's kind of a, it's an unfair comparison to me. Yeah. So, what's the next thing you want to talk about then regarding the Cthulhu mythos? Okay, Cthulhu mythos. Mythos. <laughs> My thoughts. <laughs> okay, so so it's, it's it's incredibly popular. Would you say that it's the most popular kind of horror game? In yeah, I definitely would. Yeah, um, and what sort of things lead to it being such a good horror experience? What are the elements you need in a Cthulhu 
mythos, mythos. Mythos. <laughs> what, what, what sort of elements do you need in a Cthulhu mythos adventure to get the feels right? Um, investigation. Because mm. ultimately the adventurers are called the investigators throughout everything. Yes. And it's the uncovering of, of the truth, or what you believe to be the truth at least, and the slow realisation that something awful is happening under your noses. I think Masks does that really well, although I think I think Masks has far too many handouts. Mm. But I see the point of them. I mean, especially when you've got when you've got the prop set, the HP Lovecraft Historical Society prop set, that turns into a different game with the amount of handouts for that. But I think I think um it depends what you mean about what makes it good. Are you talking about what kind of payoff you have to have at the end? Well, okay then. What are all the elements that you need if you if you're going to run or write something? You know, like we have. Yeah, well, you know, for the Cthulhu, <laughs> the Cthulhu mythos. Yeah. What what sort of things? I was thinking in terms of I think viral hits all the right notes. It, it's got a lot of the elements that make it good. The first one that I think viral does really well is isolation, which I think is a big part of getting yeah. mythos right. Yeah, it is something I considered when we because the the name of the island is Isola. Isola de Malamente, yeah, mm. and Isola. Remember reading it, think it almost sounds like isolation, doesn't it? Isola. Yes. I don't know whether that's the where the word sprang from, because with the whole point of Ireland is you're know, isolated from from the mainland. But Is Isola de Malamente, it does have an isolation thing about it, and I think I think um, the thing with viral is also they're in a different country, they're in a foreign country. They are. So they're in they're in off the coast of Italy. With one person who can speak Italian on this little island, which the locals mm. won't go near. Yes. So I think yeah, um, uh, the isolation. Yeah. Um, I, can, I mean, I can see that, but then there's plenty of great cold Cthulhu scenarios that don't have it. Hmm. Like I think there's there's vast swathes of masks where they take part. It takes part in cities with people about. There's bits that aren't like the the Australian chapter. There's lots hmm. of kind of stretches of desert and. You know, especially when you go into the city of the great race and things like that. Mm. Uh, the, I mean, most of that is flying polyps, and they are horrific. They will, they went, will kill you. I went to the doctors with those last week. <laughs> uh, flying polyps, sorry. But, oh, but, there, but even would you say that even in the uh, a, a big part of the Cthulhu mythos and the isolation element is that even when you're in the big city, you are isolated. Because there's no appeal to authority. There's no one that you can explain what's going on, how to get help. Because mm. most people, if you if you actually said what what you were actually doing in the game, they're going to bang you up in a hospital ward. But I, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what my my thoughts on this are. Right, I think Delta Green does isolation better than Call of Cthulhu. Why is that? Because Del- Delta Green, you're part of a convert organization. That we don't mm. we don't speak about Delta Green. So there are times where you can literally just you're on your own to try and get mm. out of some sort of mess, and especially in in big portions of um, of of impossible landscapes, reality is bending around you and changing around you, and you're mm. the only ones who see it. Been there, I, I know you have. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the, the whole thing is there's you see in reality for what. It really is because all the, the whole thing it talks about in possible landscapes is that reality is a lie. 
Yes. And as you become more and more corrupted by the King in Yellow, you see reality for what it really is, the the great lie. Yeah. And, and for me, that does isolation better because who would believe you other than the other agents? Yes. Plus, as part of, the, of, of Impossible Landscapes, and spoilers, skip ahead a bit a little bit, Delta Green are hunting you mm. for, 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 for two of the chapters. Yes. So you're isolated from even the one group of people who could possibly understand you. Yes. I mean, that's something that I do really love about just base Delta Green is the fact that there's sort of two Delta Greens and you don't know which, you know, sometimes it could be possible that you don't know whether you're part of one bit of Delta Green or the other bit of Delta Green and you're not entirely sure what the relationship is between the two different Delta Greens. I think that's inspired. Well, it's the program and the outlaws, isn't it? Yeah. And yet they are very different entities and you'd argue that the outlaws are the originals, the program or the... New Delta Green or NU Delta Green, and they have entirely different motivations. They still want, they still want all of the same things, and they do work together at times. Mm. But they're very much have the the people behind the scenes have different agendas. Yes, which I which I love. I love that kind of thing. Who would you be? Who would you be? Program or outlaw? Outlaw. Outlaw. Yeah, but there's a reason for that though. Because the outlaw won't ruin your life if the outlaws generally won't ruin your life if you don't do as you're told. The yes. program has a much deeper reach. Mm. You know they can they can cancel people. They can. I mean, what what one of the things in in um in the labyrinth again is you get involved. One of the one of the allies you can join is the the center for the missing child, and it's a group of it's a group of um, volunteers that work for this this charity called the Centre for the Missing Child, and it's about, it was formed by a couple whose daughter was snatched mm. and vanished. And this this couple, the, the D'Onofrios, noticed how terrible the police were at dealing with lost children or, or kidnapped children. Mm. And so they started a charity up to help families who'd had a children, a child snatched. And, but they also do things like, um, they got DNA testing. And you get involved with a, with a guy uh, John uh, Joe DeWant or John DeWant, who's who's an, an old cop, who's retired, and it, with his his involvement in Delta Green, when they become involved with Delta Green, it ruins their lives. Yes. Yeah, and DeWant was part of an investigative team that investigated a load of child murders in the early eighties, and he's determined that um, that there were four cops involved in it. Who you who could under the cover of there's a serial killer killing children just killed kids they didn't like. Ooh. Now he blows the whole thing up because you have the, there's three stages of involvement with Delta Green in the third one, where it's hell hell breaks loose. He goes and tracks down these cops who he suspects and kills one of them and takes another hostage. Mm. If he comes out of that Delta Green basically to 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 get you to pay for for getting him involved in the first place, get you to smuggle a DNA sample. Into the, into the the Atlanta Police Department, and then a week later it comes out that he's wanted for one of the murders. Oh, that's that's it's harsh. horrible! It's horrible. <laughs> that's that's but that's the horrible. kind of thing the program does. Mm. I don't think the the outlaws are very much more getting there, sorted out, get out. The program has is much more deeper, deeper fingers and deeper pockets as well. Like like deep state. Yes, they're, well, yeah, the former Majestic Twelve, aren't they? So. Yeah. 
I think I think I would be I think I would be program because I like to think that I'm quite a vindictive person. <laughs> Why? <laughs> well, that that idea of sneaking DNA into the Atlanta Police Department to get somebody arrested for a crime they didn't commit. That's the sort of thing I do. Okay, well, let's end this. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. So so then, we've talked a lot about... Uh, we've talked about Cthulhu. We've talked about Delta Green. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are other really cool Cthulhu products and lines out there. Mm-hmm. So if I, if I was to ask you for a top three, so two honourable mentions and a one must-have Cthulhu product... Could be book, could be campaign, game. What would you pick? I mean, I'm, I've got a slight bias towards this because of my love of Delta Green. Mm. So Delta Green would be my number one. Yes. But Call of Cthulhu would be very, very, very close behind number two. And I'll explain why. Delta Green appeals more to me as a, as a modern setting. Mm. Now, I, I don't like futuristic games generally unless it's space opera if it's something like star wars i can i can cope with that because there's a certain you love you love, you love traveler i traveler hate traveler Char- it's traveler charger it is the laminar flooring of gaming <laughs> that's good i like that and i'm now we're gonna get we're gonna get stick for that but i don't care um so for me delta green is more relatable mm. when people say they can search online i understand what that means but also, I mean, like we were talking with Alex the other week, is he he has the same kind of struggle? Is I don't know what life was like in the nineteen twenties. No, I mean, I could yeah, I could probably play you know a Raffles the uh, the gentleman thief kind of character, but to play some sort of like I don't know um, a businessman or that kind of thing, I think I was fine. I'm, I mean, I would understand how businessman works now. Mm. But not necessarily how they would work then. So the top, my, my top two would be Delta Green and Call of Cthulhu. Mm. And I think from what I've re- from what I've read, I think one I would like would be Invictus. Invictus is very good. Yeah. So that's the, that's the Roman setting yeah. set set in sort of the in in the Romans and centurions knocking about. And from what I've read and from what people have said, it's very good. And it's got a brilliant campaign, the legacy of Arius Lurko, mm. which has just been kickstarted for seventh edition, completed recently, and they've added loads to it. Uh, I managed to get a copy from you know, Keith from the Titter Pig sent me, got, managed to crack, track a copy down his local shop and mm. sent it to me. So yeah, so yeah um, I'm not really over fami- overly familiar with Trailer Cthulhu. Oh, it's very good. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Trail. But I don't like Gumshoe though. That's the problem I have with it. I can sort of see why some people don't get on with it. I mean, I, I'm 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 a fan because to me, uh, rules get in the way of the fun most of the time. I'm not I'm not somebody that's I'm not somebody that plays a game for the rules. And there's no neither am I. And, and there's there's nothing wrong with chucking a single d6 for combat. And it's got just enough stuff, just enough stuff to make it interesting uh, mm. from a from a from a rolling a dice point of view. But I think the products are just beautiful. It seems people seem to like it, mm. and I don't, I don't know. I think it's my dislike of Gumshoe that's put me off. But people who I know and respect in the hobby really say it's a good game. Mm. And they said, I mean, the one that is the one the campaign people keep on talking about is Eternal Lies. That's one of my honourable mentions. Eter- is it Eternal Lies? 
I do, I do not understand how that isn't on everybody's lips or, you know, at the forefront of people's minds when they talk about Cthulhu. I often, you know, people talk about masks and then they talk about Orient Express all the time. Nobody ever really talks about it. And it's an absolutely cracking campaign. And it's got some absolutely blinding twists. And it's really clever. And I would suggest that anybody that's interested in Cthulhu gaming should get it. And if you're a, more of a Call of Cthulhu player, there ain't no harm in converting it over to 7th edition and running it through that. It's just... It, and it's it's also does some really clever there's some clever writing and clever design in it as an as an example all the scenes are presented in two ways and locations are presented in two ways upbeat and downbeat so how's that work okay then so so for instance you could go as an example you go to mexico city which is one of the locations in the campaign and when you get there there will be all the little things that a dm can do as sort of set dressing that will lift the players kids playing football in the street and a cop coming over and giving one of them an orange roughly in his hair <laughs> makes you feel good gives you a bit of a lift but there's also a way of doing the same scene where the kid kicks a ball and it hits a cop's foot and he goes over to pick it up from the cop and the cop cuffs him. And it's it's a really clever trick that that I pulled when I ran it to, to change the emotional states of players, to sort of prime them f depending on what you want, how you want them to feel in a location. Because, you know, it can be, ble you know, if you're going globetrotting, around the world, trying to stop some hideous Cthulhu event, it can be a bit of a downer. You know, it can affect your players. Mm. If you, so when they need a lift, you can just sort of change the filters, the colour filters on the scene. I think it really works. And then when players are getting a little bit cocky and doing their, you know, off-the-table jokes, like people yeah. do, when you go, oh, we're playing Cthulhu, you're cracking penis jokes again. Not that my not not that my players ever do that sort of stuff, but you know when you want people, you want to remind them that you are playing a horror game. You can sort of dial in these darker moments. It's really really clever. That's quite clever, isn't it? Yeah. It is really really clever, and it's beautiful writing. Um, the campaign's got it's called Eternal Lies, which sort of hints at Cthulhu, and you know mm -hmm. that. But it's also lies, as in things aren't being true. And that's what it's... So the campaign is based around lies. And it's got it's got an absolutely mega twist at the end. One of the best twists I've ever seen in any campaign. And it will throw everybody. All right. It'll throw everybody. It's very good. So Well, I, I will... You've, you've sold it to me. I might have to check that out. It's very, very good. And... What are your what are your other three? Okay, so... Your top two and then your honourable mentions. So, Eter okay, my eternal lies is one of my honourable yeah. mentions. I would also say my next honourable mention would be Sandy Peterson's Cthulhu Mythos for 5th edition, which sadly has sort of come to an end because he, he produced this amazing book where you could take Cthulhu Mythos, 
put it in a fantasy world. Standard, bog standard D&D, chucking some Cthulhu. But the detail was absolutely staggering. Just yeah. the amount of wads you got. I got a screw... I mean, I'm not an expert. I ain't going to be arguing on Reddit forums with, with Cthulhu experts. <laughs> but I got... A, it, it's, it's, it gave me a really good schooling in, in a lot of stuff that I didn't know. And, you know, let's face it, D&D, there's different ways of playing it. There's not much in the way of proper horror for it. But there's that, I think there, there's a problem though, isn't it? Because in, D, in Call of Cthulhu and, and those kind of ilk games, like your Delta Green or whatever, you're playing a normal human up to the neck. Mm. But if you play them in a fancy set and you're warriors with swords, you're wizards, you're clerics, you're, you know, you're backstabbing thieves, you can kind of fight back against this stuff more than, more capably than most humans could in any other game. There, there is that. You're not, you're not, Ordinary people in extraordinary circumstances, which I think is another feature of classic mm. sort of mythos gaming. But they do, they did his company, um, his own company, Sandy Peterson, they did five or six full campaigns that took you. Really? Yeah. The, each campaign was like four or five books. I got them all. I was signed up for it. It was a subscription model. And they take the players from first to 20th level and and some of them are exceptionally good i mean not just good cthulhu gaming just really good cracking adventures and they were yeah. they're all very very different as well really different feels for each of them so that would be my second honorable mention and what's your first it's another Pelgrim press product cthulhu city which is by uh our friend gareth ryder hamrahan of okay of twitter and it is an absolutely astonishing product. So Cthulhu City, so Cthulhu, uh, the Cthulhu mythos, you have the dreamland, so there's like, they've already got this idea that there's an alternate state that you can exist in. Mm -hmm. Like a state of being that is different to the real world. Still identifiably Cthulhu gaming, but it's a little bit weird and there's cats with six legs and all that sort of cool stuff. It's like a Studio Ghibli movie, isn't it? It, it is. <laughs> it is. I, I, I didn't realise that. Uh, okay, then. So Cthulhu City is... Do you remember the film Dark City? Oh, God. I don't even know whether I remember that. I know of it, but I don't know whether I've seen it. Okay, so Cthulhu City is like Dark City. It's a city and you can't leave it. And it's it's dark and it's weird. Uh, and what... It's like, like Wolverhampton. It's like Wolverhampton. <laughs> the bus strikes are over now um, so, but but in Cthulhu City it crams the Cthulhu my, mythos all the pla all the places that you you know sort of Arkham Kingsport it crams them into a city just one place that it's impossible to leave a bit like the prisoner so it, right so so if you get on a train and leave the train will go and it might look like it's going through a little bit of countryside and then it'll pull up to the next stop and you're back in Cthulhu City. So you got... You can never... It's like Royston Vasey. It's like Royston Vasey. <laughs> but the cool thing about Cthulhu City is the bad guys are in control. You are living... Right. ...in a world where people openly worship mythos entities. Or, or, or it's going to be obvious to the player... 
that everybody around you is pretty much a cultist. You, you, right. Instead of being the cultists in a world of ordinary people, you're ordinary people in a world that is with green skies and weird cyclopean skyscrapers around it. And you know that the, the, the lo- if you go to the local church, any local church, it's pretty much all of them are sort of the church of starry wisdom, you know, openly, yeah. openly referring to sort of Jesus as having tentacles. And it's just this absolutely beautiful, baroque, twisted version of Cthulhu. And it sounds fun. It's, it, I've never actually run it, but I read it and, and I don't care if I ever run it. It's just absolutely beautiful. And it's a joy to have it inside your head, if that makes sense. Just, it's just, yeah. it's just a joy that you've got all this stuff. And I wish more people, I wish more, because people know about Bookhounds, which is, a, that almost made it onto my list. Bookhounds. Uh, See, it reminds me from what you're saying, a bit of, have you read Cyborg yet? I haven't. Yeah, because that it, it's a kind of similar. I mean, not that, that you can, you can't leave and things like that, but it's this hellish like the, the entire city's like Times Square, and the rich people live in skyscrapers on the outskirts, looking down at the slums below, and people worship like horned gods mm. on the streets, and it's all every everyone wants something off you, and the security. Are all private security firms and the police are all corrupt and mm. everyone's corrupt there. And it sounds like where Cyborg was influenced. Mm. Well, Cthulhu City definitely plays upon that paranoia that you, you your neighbours are keeping an eye on you. You can't trust yeah. anybody. Uh, it's it's proper paranoid gaming, and of course, it does leave you wondering a little bit, like some of the the earlier stuff we talked about with Delta Green whether it's actually real or whether the players are living inside them sort of a, a nightmarish delusion. And it's it's a beautiful, a beautiful product. I might have to pick that up. I'm not, it's one I've heard of, but I've not bought. Mm. Mm. So those would be my top three. So two Pelgrane in my top three. Okay, then. So the Spiral, which is... Right. The Spiral... What do you understand as the spiral in Mythos Mythos gaming? Well, the spiral is only ever downwards. Mm. Whenever I think of the spiral, I think of the crooked spiral from True Detective. Yes. Which weirdly had its Mythos, you know, connections, didn't it? Mm. Uh, with the whole yellow king and the yellow sign and all that. Um, it's the it's the downward spiral towards everything going bad in your life, mm. and different games do it differently. Like in Delta Green, for example, it's your bonds and your real life collapse and your life outside of Delta Green. I mean, barring being shot or put in an asylum because you've been driven insane by horrific things that were not meant to be, Delta Green does it cleverly with the idea of bonds. And these are the things in, for those who've never played Delta Green, the bonds are your things in real life that, that get you through the tough times. Mm. And the way it works in Delta Green is you have a, you have a, a finite amounts of points called willpower and they can offset the loss of sanity mm-hmm. but they affect your bonds they reduce your bonds Ooh. and it's the idea that 
that you know keep keeping a grip on things means you become you become less attached to to you know your life crumbles outside the delta green your wife leaves you you know your children no longer speak to you your dog won't even come near you yeah so so that the downward spiral in that way is is different to the way call of cthulhu does it because in call of cthulhu it's very much i mean i think cthulhu has become i dare say a bit tamer over the years because hmm. they introduced luck Oh, yes. And pushing roles and things like that as well, which were to give, you know, luck is definitely gives players a slight advantage or even a small advantage. Yeah. Mm. Whereas uh, pushing roles can be, can end up bad. Yes. For the player as well. But Delta Green does it in a, I'm not going to say a smarter way, but in a different way that for me is more relatable. Mm. And I think, you know, the idea that you either end up in a slab in the morgue or in an asylum, and which one's the more interesting there? Mm. It's the asylum, isn't it? It was in my it was in my experience. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, people being locked up in padded cells with the demons in their head. Mm. It's far more interesting a story to tell than they ended up dead on a slab. Yeah, especially being as the reason why they've been um, they are where they are is just discovering how things really are. That, mm-hmm. that, that, I mean, they, they've done nothing more that, than discover like we said at the beginning that it's a cold horrible universe and there are there, there are alien things that it's best not to know about i think that's the thing isn't it it's um you know like the question opposed to alex heat death of the universe or blissful ignorance and part of me wants to live the happy life of bliss, blissful ignorance. But there's that part of me which wants to know the truth and i think that's maybe possibly why we both got this this fascination with cryptids and UFOs and ghosts, it's it's to know the unknown. Yes. Isn't it? And even if even if knowing that unknown is a bad thing, I mean some people would rather take bad news and know it's happened than pretend it's never happened. Mm. Yeah. Um part of me wants to be the person who who will quite happily go about the life and live in a bubble. Mm. But I can't. No. You know, if there's if if there's if there's something on Reddit which is like, don't click this, it's terrible. It's just a story of it. I always click it. Yeah. I can't help myself. I've got to know whether I think it's terrible. Yeah. And, and a, you know, of course, a lot of this stuff can be personalised. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, quite often in a you know in a Cthulhu setup, um, you're you're actually in the role not just of as an say an investigator but also a protector. You can live in blissful ignorance, but if that hurts people that you care about or has affected mm-hmm. them, you, you, you've got to get involved. Mm. Mm. And what, what do you prefer? The spiral uh, to end up in the morgue or the asylum? Well, as, as we know, I've spent time in comfortable hospitals where they lock the doors overnight. Yeah. And it was actually quite a good laugh. Yeah, but you were not being driven insane by the demons you'd witnessed, were you? Uh, not. Well, I hope not. Not that time. Not that time. <laughs> but I, I shouldn't laugh, but I'm allowed to because I was involuntarily sent there quite rudely. But it's the only place I've ever known where there is a sign next to a fish tank going, please do not feed the fish biscuits because people needed to be told. <laughs> I mean, th- the thing is, you you told me a long time ago about all this and and I and I... Some of the things you told me were so funny. I had to say, I'm sorry, but this is terrible. But that is hilarious, and and it's it, I think it's an endearing quality that you can sit there and go, you know what? Looking back now, it really was funny. It was funny, and and I, I'll say the one thing that um, because I do 
it, it is a really serious thing, mental health. And the one thing it did, yeah. what it, it, it did take the shine off Cthulhu a little bit for me. I can imagine, yeah. Because these the people inside, the patients and the staff were lovely people and very human. And once you got over the shock of where you were and just tried to exist and get on with people, that they were generally really just nice people. It was, and so yeah. so they said. I I do struggle a little bit as I've got a little bit older with Cthulhu Call, mm. Call of Cthulhu with the you've had something terrible happen to you. Roll on a random table for a random mental illness because I'm mm. I'm not sure that it that it, that's how it works. Yeah, I'm, it's it's a little bit difficult to go. You know, something as serious as depression or bipolar, or schizophrenia, to think it can be triggered by monsters. It's sort of, I find it a little bit more difficult, which is why I do really like the Delta Green bonds being eroded because of your obsessions Mm. or fears or anxieties. And I do like, uh, Trailer Cthulhu has sort of uh, pillars of belief, the things that anchor you to the world like, a be- mm-hmm. like trust in science and mm. you know the church will protect me everybody's equal in the eyes of god so you have statements of belief that get eroded and i think that's a a little bit more sensitive way of doing it i think yeah i think the idea with with, with bonds is it's the way the way i see it is it's the way vietnam vets came back after vietnam mm. You know, like the way that you see in Rambo, the original first movie, the first blood, where he he, he just can't integrate back into society. No. He'll try as he must. He's just seen too much. Yeah. And he's seen people he genuinely respected and cared for, killed and murdered and blown up and dismembered. And it's something he can never escape from because it, it walks with him wherever, everywhere he goes. Um, and then, and then the knock-on effect of that is just just wrecks their lives mm. outside of outside of where they were, and I think um, I think Delta Green and you know to a large degree what you were saying about Trail gets a bit more right. I mean, Call of Cthulhu these days is not as clear cut. No, as I said, it gives you more chances of kind of avoiding these things. I mean, the whole point is you are kind of meant to be heroish, and I don't. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, I'm not 100% sure but I don't think you roll randomly for yeah for for psychological trauma now I think it's basically it's decided upon based on what you've experienced to, to, to be so to be fair I'm, I'm I am judging Cthulhu there I mean I'm not I'm not judging Kersium at all because that that's like the very early days that I played it and I thought it was cool and this is yeah. this is more about experience. And I'm, I'm, I know that there are, I know that they're a thoughtful company and they're a sensitive company, mm-hmm. and yeah. But I do I do struggle with that idea a, a little bit more. It's got a bit more nuanced as I've got older, shall we say? Yeah, I mean nothing's black and white, is it? No, there's there's, there's shades of grey. Apart from the fact that tune is awful, that there's black. There's only black and white there. <laughs> um. Well, I think on that sad, but I mean, maybe possibly up uplifting note. I think that's where we should leave it mm. for the evening. And I'll play, I'll play Hugh's music here. <laughs> 